Francisca Priest Live. Guided by the Holy Spirit and honoring the magisterial teachings of the Church. Faithful Catholic priests answering questions for believers and those seeking truth. Ask a priest because Father knows best. And now, your host, Jordan Pacheco. God be praised in his angels and in his saints. Hello, hello, everybody, listeners and viewers all, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ask a Priest Live. I'm your host, Jordan Pacheco. It is going to be a tremendous day. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope you're preparing for a wonderful weekend. Hope you're staying warm. I want to give a great shout out to our producer, James Farmer. Daniel is joining us on producing line today because James was snowed in to the studio out in Buffalo, New York last night. So apparently spent 25 hours in a studio, which once upon a time when I was in California, I thought would have been a very wonderful dream come true. But now I've become a little older and realize that that can be very, very difficult. So prayers for Daniel, or for uh, well, Daniel too. You can have some prayers too, Daniel. But certainly for James. James, if you listen, I hope that you are recuperating your reward will be great in heaven. And today is going to be a great episode because we have Canon Ross Bourgeois joining us. He's of the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest and Program Vicar of Most Precious Blood of Jesus Parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Canon, thank you so much for joining us. How's the weather out there in Pittsburgh? It's not as bad as what James just experienced, but it's pretty snowy. Uh, I, I definitely yeah. wouldn't venture outside right now. It's got about, you know, four or five inches accumulating. So, um, I'm happy to stay here and do a good radio show. I don't want to be walking the streets right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, good. Well, we are happy that you are going to be planted here with us for an hour. We've had an absolutely great episode. It was, or not episode. We've had a great week. It actually has been so snowy that two of our shows were actually canceled this week. So we're going to do our best to pick up some of these questions because Lord knows while the question or while the shows were canceled, the questions kept rolling in. So Canon, I say without further ado, let's go ahead and open the phone lines. Let's have some fun. We have a lot of great questions lined up today. And hey, listeners and viewers, we would love for your questions to join them. 1-877-511-5483. Again, that's 1-877-511-5483. Or you can email your questions for Canon today, priests at the station of the cross.com as well as type them up in YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. Again, that call-in number, 1-877-511-5483. This first one, a question from Joseph, especially for you, Canon. She says this, Can any priest dispense of private vows? If someone made rash private vows and, have, and has since confessed them, but was never dispensed, do they still hold? And if so, how can they be dispensed? Also, does one have to confess the ongoing non-adherence to the vow if not dispensed yet? So with vows, it is a little bit of a particularity in, in the sense that there are, there are different kinds of vows. Um, and so you have to make sure that what you're understanding as a private vow actually is a vow. If something is said rashly in the sense, um, like as if you promised one time um, very quickly uh, that you would every day visit the blessed sacrament for hours and hours on end, you know, and, and there was absolutely no way that you could do that. Um, well, certainly this would kind of be like an irrational emission of a vow. And if you knew that, or if you were a child, for example, you didn't understand uh, what it is that you were doing, well, then certainly you, you would not be held to that. Um, so your vow, first of all, has, if it's a private one, you know, has to be, has to be rational. There are things called solemn vows, you know, solemn professions, of vows and you know those are only dispensable 
under current law by by the Supreme Pontiff. You know, so there's no way you could be dispensed normally in a confessional from a solemn vow normally. Um, but when it comes to the admission of private vows, <clears throat> canon law does have prescriptions for where if, if you understand that your vow is rash, you know, there are certain individuals like the ordinary of the diocese or even pastors and so on who can dispense you from that. Um, but you have you have to bring that up, obviously. You know, if you'd know that uh, you haven't been fulfilling uh, a rash vow that you made a long time ago and that it's obviously on your conscience and you know that you haven't been fulfilling it intentionally, we need to bring that up, you know, that you've been avoiding your obligations. Technically, you know, a vow, if, if you make it and if, if it's rational, if it's a good intention, well, then certainly you're you're continually lacking to fulfill it if, if every day, you know, you avoid this. So make sure that you do go to confession, that you do mention this to the confessor, that you haven't fulfilled something that you promised to God a long time ago. Um, and it's more than likely that he has the faculties to dispense you of something that's uh, made in private and that could be rash. But always make those distinctions too, because um, obviously, you know, things that we did like in our childhood uh, of promising God, you know, that we would do a certain thing every day and we, we didn't realize the, the physical burden that this would be, you know, obviously not only would this be rash, but sometimes it's just irrational and there's no way that you could fulfill it. But, uh, but yes, do bring it up to your confessor. And normally he has the faculties to dispense you from that or even commute what's called commute it, you know, make, make the obligation lesser or something that you can handle so that you can still try to fulfill your obligation, um, but not uh, leave off the vow. But it's to be seen in individual cases. So it's, it's hard to answer that globally, if, you know, just for one person, but it's definitely to be seen with the confessor, you know, that you go to next. An excellent question to kick off our hour, Joseph. Hey, thank you so much for sending it in. Yes, God thank bless you. you. 1-877-511-5483. Canon Ross Bourgeois joins us today, Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. We're going to turn now to Arizona Canon and Tracy. Hey, Tracy, thank you so much for calling in. And what's your question for Canon? Hi, good afternoon. Um, my question is, is how to deal with a, a child. He's a teenager. Um, he has cheated on his school papers and, and other assignments. We just found out. Um, and it has been going on for a couple of months. So obviously, the grades that are in the system now um, have cheating that were associated with them. He has gone to confession for it. Um, but I didn't know as a parent if we are required to alert the school and he suffers the punishment that they would, you know, administer or if we are able to be creative and come up with our own punishment um, or really, I guess I'm just looking for what type of reparation needs to be done um, for something like this. Certainly. And, and I'll try to answer generally, you know, it's, and it's not because I, I don't want to be involved and I don't want to help, but obviously, um, I, you know, I, I can't insert myself into the, the intentions of the school or the policies of the school or, or, you know, just uh, family life here. But um, do keep in mind, obviously, that if the school has a policy against cheating, you know, if you know that there's been an injustice um, that's, that's taken place uh, and, injustice in the sense that it has robbed other students of uh of fairness you know that somebody is taking advantage of a system to elevate themselves and and um uh, cause others to lose their status well then something like that you should bring up uh if if a child you know on on one particular occasion would um maybe exaggerate their schoolwork and they're very young well then certainly you know we 
you know, we reproach them, we make sure they understand. But, you know, if this is an older child and they have an understanding, certainly, of what cheating is and that they know that they've, um, they certainly broken a law, so to speak. You know, they're, they're aware of the fact that this is not something that's just wrong, but is against the rules. Well, then there obviously have to be consequences to, to suffer. Um, you know, it's entirely different when we're talking about moral forums, you know, where uh, obviously this is something that is wrong and should be dealt with, um, you know, between this individual and, and, you know, making a, hopefully a good confession. But, um, you know, certainly in, in their good conscience to right the wrong, well, they should bring that up uh, to to the authorities that are there. Again, all the particulars and the specifics of, you know, what the school understands by cheating and, um, you know, the age of the person and, and how frequently this happens or how frequently this has happened, I, you know, that, that needs to be seen individually. You know, I can't, I wouldn't be able to like give you a precise answer over, over a telephone conversation without knowing the person and the circumstances, but, but yes, in general, you know, if, if we know that we've, uh, you know, committed, uh, some kind of serious offense. And if, if the person is old enough to take responsibility for their actions, well, they should do that as, as best they can, you know, they, they shouldn't just, uh, be allowed to continue or not suffer any consequences for, for that. Uh, would it, would it need to go so far as, for instance, if, if the school has a zero policy, on cheating and it would literally result in expulsion. Um, does it need to go that far or is it something that, that you know, I guess morally, do we, must we involve or. Sorry, I didn't, uh, I didn't hear you. You're breaking up just a little bit, Tracy, but are you saying you're asking that if the school has a specific policy, uh, is it necessary that we would therefore alert the school authorities for this? Is that what you're asking? Right, even if it would result in an explosion. Mm, yeah, that's very delicate. I mean, I understand that you could see that the the punishment might be greater than the crime. Um, I I'm hesitant to give you an answer there because obviously I I, I don't want to be responsible for <laughs> for your child being ex expelled from school. Um, but obviously there there is an element of justice to that. Um, if the child was aware that those were the consequences. You know, if the child was aware that the, the consequences for cheating on an exam were being expelled from school and it was done anyway, well then obviously, you know, the, there's a certain amount of merit to that punishment. But uh, I, again, not knowing the particulars, I don't want to tell you uh, that your child should or should not be expelled from school. You know, I, I don't want to be the cause of that, but certainly, you know, knowing that this has been done, you know, you should take at least some form of punishment, you know, whether that's administrative or simply at home in the family, make sure that's done at least for the benefit of, you know, the child that needs to learn that there are consequences for actions as to whether expulsion is what needs to be done. I can't answer that. You know, I, I don't know if that's exactly what needs to happen, but, uh, but certainly, you know, there's some kind of punishment that obviously needs to be meted out. I don't want to, I don't want to speak to the school's policy is what I'm saying. Amen. Tracy, that is a monumental question. Thank you so much for sending it in. You're listening to Ask a Priest Live. Canon Ross Bourgeois joins me today in Studio Christ the King Sovereign Priest. Hey, we'll be right back after the break. Don't go anywhere. God bless you. Hello, this is Father Jim Netto with the Diocese of Portland, Maine. 
In Krakow, Poland, on the 2nd of June, 1938, the Lord Jesus himself directed a young Polish Sister of Mercy on a three-day retreat. Sister Faustina painstakingly recorded Christ's instructions in her diary, that is, a mystical manual on prayer and divine mercy. These instructions became Faustina's weapon in fighting the good fight. Jesus began, My daughter, I want to teach you about spiritual warfare. Secret number five. Put your self-love in the last place so that it does not taint your deeds. This secret counsels us that self-love is natural, but it should be ordered, free of pride. Love of ourselves, esteeming of ourselves, are roots which cannot be easily plucked out of the human heart, but we can prevent they're bearing any fruits which are sins. As for their buddings, we cannot prevent them altogether so long as we are in this life, though we can moderate their dimensions by the practice of contrary virtues, especially by love of God and humility. Satan tempts us to disordered self-love, to lead us into his pool of pride. Humility defeats the devil, that is perfect pride. If we need any motivation to be humble, we need only consider Jesus, who humbled himself to save us. listening to Ask a Priest Live from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Have a question? Ask a priest. Call 1-877-511-5483 or email us at priests at thestationofthecross.com. God bless you listeners and viewers all. Welcome back to Ask a Priest Live. I'm your host, Jordan Pacheco, and joining me today is Canon Ross Bourgeois. He's of the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, and Parochial Vicar of Most Precious Blood of Jesus Parish in beautiful and very snowy Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A lot of great questions coming up through the till. We would love for yours to be a part of them. 1-877-511-5483. Again, that call-in number, 1-877-511-5483. Or you could email your questions to Father, priests at thestationofthecross.com, as well as type them up on YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. We have a few of your own parishioners in chat today, Father, so I'm sure we're going to get a lot of really fun questions. Uh, Canon, I should say. Sorry about that. Uh, always confusing. And again, that call-in number, 1-877-511-5483. 5483. In fact, while I have my eye on YouTube, Canon, I'm going to turn my gaze to this question coming in. Uh, this viewer has this question. Interesting. It says this. My son asked me after seeing something on the internet regarding recent wars, diseases, and unrest, if they are signs of the end times or just current affairs. I didn't have a good answer. Please help. Certainly. Um, you know, and that was actually from the gospel uh, from today too. That you know, there'll be signs, rumor wars, and rumors of wars. You know, certainly they could be the signs of the end of times, but, um, and that's not to to doubt that what our Lord said was was truly you know wars, you know, physical human wars, and uh, not just spiritual combat, but He meant to give signs of the 
the coming apocalypse. But, you know, there's no way to know that the wars that we see now or here or whenever, that those things are exact signs, you know, of the end of times. Um, our Lord, trying to be a consoler, you know, showed us that there were things that would come that would signal the end of times, you know, that we would have an indication. But uh, he didn't mean to say that there would be one particular war that we would know by which it would be the end of time. You know, there's, there's nothing... Uh, in any of the wars in particular that uh, that would that would tell us that it's it's going to be the every generation has thought it's been it's going to be the last you know there's this one certainly does there's there's certainly many good reasons why it could be but, but we don't know that for sure um, I find in general that there's and I not to speak uh, badly of you or you know to to think that this is how you would think but. Um, in general, there's an unhealthy obsession in the world with the end of times. You know, there's, it's things, first of all, that we can't do anything about. It's, it's a little bit idle to, and of course, you know, your son has a good question. Um, and it's things that are on young people's minds, especially as they have so much of future, uh, to look forward to, but you know, we should definitely teach our children that they should live for the here and now for the present, you know, they should work on what God commands of them here and now, um, it can be very dangerous to to just live in speculation and to live in fear, essentially, of what's going to come. And Christ didn't want this of us. You know, he himself uh, speaks not so often about these end of times and even says, you know, it's not even given uh, to him. You know, it's for the Father. He's not the one who is to to reveal this, you know, the, the, the coming apocalypse. So, so I would say, you know, at the same time that you assure him, that there's nothing in particular about our time that would say that this must be the end at the same time that we orient our children towards living presently the things that God commands us to do and not worrying about the things, the future over which essentially we have no control over that. We know that these things are to come to pass eventually, you know, there will be a, a final climactic end of, of this world, but we don't know exactly when it's going to be. No one on the earth does no matter who tells you what, what revelation, who this or that, there is nobody who is aware of that. And it's not the way that we should live our lives. Um, but we should rather for the here and now, you know, serve God, both body and soul as best we can. Amen. That is a tremendous question, Black White. Thank you so much for sending it in. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Ask a Priest Live. Canon Ross Bourgeois joins me today. Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. Phone lines are open. 1-877-511-5483 or you can email your questions for Canon today. Priests at thestationofthecross.com as well as type them up on YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. And again, that call-in number 1-877-511-5483. Turn it back to this email that just popped in. A really interesting one, Canon. This comes from Dorothy who says, when we use the term Lord in our prayers, are we referring to God the Father or to Jesus or to both? It is um, in the liturgy, Lord will typically be uh, for Christ himself, you know, who's Dominus Noster, you know, he's, he's our Lord. Um, Christ does make the distinction, you know, between his father and our father, and there are those distinctions in the gospel and in the liturgy. And the liturgy does try to use the voice of the priest and the person of the priest as the narrator of Christ towards his father a little bit like that last, um, like that discourse at the last supper at the last scene. Um, but, 
both have been used to describe both the first and second person of the Trinity. So there's no um, there's no prohibition for for one or the other. Perhaps you know, depending on the gospel, depending on the the book or the letter of the New Testament, one is used exclusively. But it's not wrong uh, to characterize, you know, especially with the English word Lord, either God the Father or God the Son. You know, there's nothing uh, aliturgical or, or non-Catholic about, about either one. The Lord could certainly be Christ himself, um, but our Lord God in heaven, you know, there's, there's uh, Christ uses that distinction, that, that terminology, so do we. Um, so there's, and David speaks about his Lord, you know, so meaning in a prefigurative way, Christ, you know, not God, the father. So certainly there are lots of appellations and none of them are wrong, you know, for either of those two persons, of the Trinity. An excellent question indeed, Dorothy. Hey, thank you so much for sending it in. 1-877-511-5483. Canon Ross Bourgeois joins me today of the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. We'd love to hear from you. The phone lines are open. 1-877-511-5483. Or you can email your questions for Canon priests at the station of the cross.com. Gonna now go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, very local, therefore. And Andrew, hey Andrew, thank you so much for calling in. And what's your question for Canon? You're both well and warm. Uh, Canon parishioner here, by the way. Yes. Um, I, I've, <laughs> how are you? <ya? laughs> um, I'm fine. I, I have a, I've been doing. See you Sunday. Two part question for you. Um, two part question. Uh, part one is it was my understanding that in ideal circumstances, every single Catholic altar should have relics prominently displayed on top of them or in them, incorporated in them somehow. Uh, and I understand not every circumstance is an ideal circumstance, but is, is that the case, number one? And number two, I've noticed, and kudos to you guys, uh, you sometimes have two reliquaries on your altar at Most Precious Blood. Sometimes you have four. I was curious what relics you have up there and why uh, do you rotate them out for other ones you have? Um, but yeah. That's my question. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's necessary for an altar to have relics on its mensa or, you know, on the gradines per se. It, it is for, for a fixed immovable altar. It's foreseen that during the consecration uh, of the altar, the bishop inserts the relics that will be um, part of the altar stone. You know, this, this, in fact, it's kind of, I forget the technical term for it, but it's a sort of encasing of relics of saints that that slides into the the mensa itself. If it's immovable, if it's not a if it's if it's a movable altar, it's a different story. Or if it's not if it's not intended to be consecrated, it's a different story. But um, so there are relics that are inside uh, the altar as it is now. Those relics, I would not be able to tell you what they are. Uh, they precede me, and I don't. And nobody has opened that yet. I I, I don't know who's in there. The, the diocese would. Um, but, uh, for the relics on the altar, we have a few, um, the two that I know there's, uh, Saint, uh, the Lebanese one, Charbon, um, oh, what's his name? The Lebanese Saint, uh, he's like a monk. Oh, let's see if I can find him for you. One of the, one of the, f yeah, I forget exactly how, or it, his name is, is written yeah, like Charbel, that. Yeah, like Charbel, Mark, Mar uh, Mark Luf. Charbel, yeah. Right, he's the, like a Lebanese the, monk. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. 
He's like the founder of Lebanese monasticism. Um, I think we also have Paul of the Cross that's on there. There's two that I don't know. We also have a relic of the True Cross that we expose um, for the period from the finding on May 3rd until the exaltation, September 14th. Um, we actually don't have that many. I'd like to acquire some more, but uh, but uh, but yes. So there the. The, and there are obviously certain times of the year where relics are not on the altar. For example, Advent and Lent, you know, there are there is no veneration of the relics on the altar during during the mass. So, but it's actually the relics that are used. That's a prescription that comes from ancient times. I mean, from even times of persecuted Christians that mass be celebrated on the relics of the saints who are martyred. Very Roman thing too. You know, since mass is typically celebrated in the catacombs many of the first masses of many of the first popes took place over the tombs or over the bodies of saints. And so Christianity just kept that as it moved out of the time period of persecution, even in fixed altars, you know, especially in fixed altars of um, large churches, there's still relics of saints over which the holy sacrifice is offered. Um, but yes, actually to those relics that are in the, um, in the altar, couldn't say whose they are because uh, we've never been able to see them, but um, there must be some record of that. Thank you, Cannon. An excellent Based question, Andrew. Yeah, Thank definitely. you so much for sending it in. <laughs> God bless you. 1-877-511-5483. If you have a question for Canon Bourgeois, we'd love to hear from you. 1-877-511-5483. Or you can email your questions for Canon, priests at thestationofthecross.com. Let's see, about a minute and a half before the music kicks in, Canon. I'm going to turn back to YouTube. And Gary has this very interesting question. Uh, what copy of the 1961 brief does the Institute of Christ the King canons in Pittsburgh use? Uh, particularly, he's asking the publisher, it looks like. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head, but I thought I'd throw it out. Somebody's, watch, somebody's watching me like a, like a hawk here. Um, I, I use the Nova, Nova Advetera one. You know, it's the 62 uh, breviary, so it's a very nice edition. Um, I would recommend it. It's a very nice book, I would say. You know, it's very well made. Um, and that's published by, yeah, it's Nova Vetera uh, Publishers. I think it's from like 2010 or 2011. It's a very, it's still in print. It's a very good edition, very good book. A little bit on the expensive side, but, you know, obviously it's an investment for the Divine Office. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's, the, um, that's the liturgy that we use. That's the Nova Vetera edition. Uh, I, I would recommend it, but there are tons of other ones. You know, if you're interested in buying a brevier for yourself, uh, no Vetter is definitely a good a good option. Uh, excellent question, Gary. Hey, thanks for sending it in. Uh, I just thanks, want to read Gary. this one real He's quick. Very me. interesting. I see. I know they're all well. You have so many prisoners in the chat here. Uh, my relics, says my that, uh, my... <laughs> I was just gonna say it looks like there was a uh, a Rose had a conversation with Canon Avis about relics a few months ago, and he said that traditionally there should be a document about the relics in the altar, but he couldn't find the one for your guys's. So it looks like you'll have to unearth them and send them back to Rome or something. I don't know how how you'd get the paper work on that <laughs> hey you're listening to ask a priest live canon ross bourgeois joins me today institute of christ the king sovereign priest we love all these questions and comments coming in here on this wonderful friday i hope each and every one of you are staying warm and hey 
what's a better way to warm up than, of course, to call in with your questions? 1-877-511-5483. Again, that's 1-877-511-5483. I'm your host, Jordan Pacheco. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the break. God bless you. Exorcists generally identify three categories of activities and experiences that open a person to demonic possession. We can think of these categories as doors for demonic attacks on the person. They invite demons in, but they do not always result in an actual demonic possession. There is also demonic oppression and demonic obsession. There's also just hanging on to the sin, right? and not removing yourself from the sin, which happens to be door number one, he tells us. So what are the three categories of activity that can open a person to demonic possession that most exorcists are in agreement upon? Patterns of sin that are not left, that are not departed from, patterns of sin, the occult, and being a victim of trauma. Now that last one kind of sounds harsh because the person's a victim after all, it's not their fault. Well, it's a question of healing though. Are they healed from that trauma? That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Are you looking for a simple, creative, and easy way to give to the Station of the Cross? Consider a transfer of stock to help us continue evangelizing our world over the airwaves, through mobile devices, and through our website. If you are being called by God to donate through a transfer of stock from your brokerage account to ours, please ask your broker to contact us at 1-877-888-6279. Your broker will need to indicate the number of shares being transferred as well as the QCIP number of those shares. That's 1-877-888-6279. Thank you for considering a gift of stock to the Station of the Cross so that we can continue proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Did you know that live video of the show is just a few clicks away? Follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Ask a Priest Live. Search for the Station of the Cross on Rumble. Or check out our Watch Live page at thestationofthecross.com. God bless you listeners and viewers all, and welcome back to Ask a Priest Live. I'm your host, Jordan Pacheco, and joining me today is Canon Ross Bourgeois. He's of the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, and Procure Vicar of Most Precious Blood of Jesus Parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Not like I need to mention that because, Canon, you're very, very popular. A lot of your parishioners are here in the chat. I feel like you and Father Brancich have kind of like the most like quick-to-react sort of parishioners. One of your parishioners in the chat says that, uh, yeah, we're just so curious about everything, the relics, the breviary, where you get your cassocks from. So we got a lot of questions popping up from them. Oh my goodness. I don't even know where I... (laughs) (laughs) So we will do our best to keep it up, man. I gotta gotta tell you, that's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to continue on with them because Rose, Epa Rose here, one of your Christians, has a really interesting question. Uh, she asks this, and I've seen this floating around for a couple of priests. I'd like to know Canon's opinion on the chosen, especially because a recent clip I saw seemed to contradict Jesus telling Peter that he is a rock in which he build his, uh, he'll build his church. Should Catholics watch? 
Uh, well, I have to give a caveat in the sense that I have not watched ever The Chosen. Um, partially just because I'm not a big fan of like series. And then I, I just have never, I've only been in America for a couple of years. I think this is a very long ongoing series. I just never watched it. Um, so I don't know the scene and I don't really know the, the series. Um, but that being said, I mean, as long as it's not something, um, overtly immoral, uh, you know, certainly if, if we know that they're teaching something that's intrinsically evil and that that's wrong and that, could scandalize people, especially children, you know, then we shouldn't be watching it. But uh, for somebody to express a different opinion, if it's in the sense of, well, uh, uh, we think that this passage is interpreted thus, um, certainly it might not be Catholic and therefore, you know, we shouldn't promote it and we shouldn't watch, you know, like I, if, if the chosen as, a, as far as I understand is not a Catholic production, if I understand correctly, um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously That's we great. shouldn't be champing you know saying that oh well this you know this is uh the catholic understanding of sacred scripture if we know that it's not you know if if the content is is not but uh to to happen to watch it or to to see it or to watch a clip of it you know it's not as though we've done something wrong um or to to just be aware you know to to be curious about what it's about um if we realize then that they're they're teaching something that's erroneous uh well then we certainly shouldn't spread it you know we shouldn't we shouldn't um uh, you know, give it to others to watch and say, well, this would be beneficial for you. Uh, but then again, my caveat is I've never seen it. You know, I, I don't know mm -hmm. what it says. I don't know what it's like. Um, but, uh, but yes, you know, it's, it's not wrong to hear other people's opinions, but certainly as Catholics, we can't champion those things. You know, we can't voluntarily um, consume them or want, you know, want to consume them and promote them, you know, just because we know, well, by spreading the errors, if somebody is, is an error about something pertaining to the life of our Lord or his sayings or doings where well, we don't want people to be confused about that and, and learn what is wrong instead of learning what is right. Um, so that would be my, that would be the distinction that I would make, you know, just about watching it or, or seeing it. Yes. Sorry about that. Lost my camera for a second, but I'm going to try to come back. Oh, no. Sometimes it can be a little finicky. There it's it the is. It'll, hopefully I'll be on. I know, no. right? It's, it's <laughs> definitely the snow. <laughs> Cannon, I wanted, I wanted to chime in on that very point because obviously uh, I'm, I'm, I am a Catholic uh, filmmaker, right? I'm senior video editor at the Augustine Institute. So we, we make not quite the narrative fashion of the chosen, but we, we do obviously very expressly Catholic, mostly documentary-esque sort of pieces. And so I think for everybody, this is a good PSA for Catholics. A couple of things. Number one, we have to always remember who makes uh, the films, the content we consume. And if there is, agenda sounds too strong of a word here. I'm just going to say like what their biases or what they're leaning might be. So Chosen, uh, Dallas Jenkins is an evangelical and Angel Studios, which I think is doing a lot of good just in the world of filmmaking, at least moving away from the Hollywood system. Angel Studios is actually owned by Mormons. And that's important because what that means is that as Catholics, we have to understand that we're not going to get a Catholic movie or a Catholic series out of an evangelical and certainly out of a Mormon. There might be a lot of good. Like I think ultimately Chosen actually is doing a lot of good. I think on one hand, it's nice that we could have a very high budget, well-produced, well-shot uh, religious 
series that goes on for multiple seasons that's very popular but also doesn't need the hollywood structure we don't need to worry about maybe immoralities or things inside it obviously when it comes to the life of christ there is so many things that to be a catholic or to be an evangelical or to be a mormon there are going to be certain emphasis and and certain uh either obscuring of the truth or if you're a catholic filmmaker hopefully the uh the epitome of the truth um but these things all have to be taken into consideration. There's also a ton of creative liberty because the gospels do not tell us every single thing that happened in the life of the Christ and the uh, life of Christ and the relationship with the apostles and their families and all these sorts of things. So if you can kind of watch the chosen with that in mind, I think that it could be a pretty fun experience. Just remember it is work of it's historical fiction because the gospels are true, but there are liberties and dialogue and in dynamics and these sorts of things sometimes. Um, but this is just a good reminder for us in the future world as Catholics. Uh, one of the big thing to guarantee that we can make sure that what we're watching is not just entertaining or well produced or well shot, but also completely true is I think that we as Catholics need to start considering getting a jump on where we're finding Mormons and evangelicals. I think that it's about time that we start considering our own distribution for serious Catholic content. And I'm not just talking form.org, which all, all of our stuff is on your parish might have it, but just even in terms of series and things like that, like I think it's, it's time we have so much budget resources. Look, the gremlins are trying to cut me off. I'm going to stop. But um, if you find the chosen edifying, awesome beautiful thing let's go get it and if it's something you're gonna always kind of well you can hear me right canon <laughs> i can hear you <laughs> okay good see you that's fine sorry about that sorry about listeners viewers my camera is being finicky today who knows it's, it's the, <laughs> so i will it's the producers mm -hmm. chosen they're trying to get you <laughs> that's right dallas i'm sorry dallas please so, so just give consideration like we <laughs> well, what is that phrase, Cannon? Right? We shouldn't let the, oh, what is it? Don't let the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I do think that it's better. Yes, I like yeah. the fact that we're in a world where you can make a crowdfunded chosen, but obviously Catholics didn't make it. So the solution I think is let's fund some Catholic filmmakers. I'm going to try to turn on my camera again as I say that. <laughs> All right. Hopefully no, I, we'll be I, I back. Hopefully we'll keep. Yeah, please, please. No, I do think it's true to the extent that uh, if we know that something is good, you know, and, and St. Paul does mention this, you know, he says it, well, it doesn't matter if you're evangelized by me or by so-and-so, you know, what matters is you're evangelized. That being said, you know, if it is the gospel, if it is coming to you as the gospel, then it's good. Um, and so it could certainly happen accidentally, you know, that the the Mormons or, or the evangelicals preach to you something of the gospel. That's true. Um, and if it is so, you know, then there's no reason why we shouldn't receive it. Um, it's just, as you mentioned, it's true. It, it's sort of a call to action when we see that. Well, somebody um, who's not of our faith produces something that's good and that's beautiful. And that does, in this case, you know, to a certain extent, vehicle the gospel. Then, you know, Catholics, we should be doing that all, all that and more. You know, it's it's maybe a call to action there. Um, so yeah, that yeah. I, I my my only caution is just that um, you know if we if we see that there's something that's clearly erroneous, we don't want people to believe that. Well, in watching this, my Catholic friends watch it, so there's nothing. Uh, you know, the chosen represents what what the faith believes a kind of interdenominational expression of the gospel. Well, we know that that really doesn't exist. You know, there's there's no. Uh, there's no middle ground there in the sense that the, the gospel doesn't simply belong to a kind of vague Christianity. You know, it comes down to us with authority. Um, as St. Paul says, if, if somebody preaches to you another gospel besides the one that I'm preaching to you now, you know, if, if somebody is taking away or adding, well, then 
even if he's an angel, you know, then he's anathema. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not from God Himself. So, you know, that being said, yes, like you said, there is artistic license because we could certainly show um, a little bit like in the Passion movie. Um, you know, it, it's obvious that our Lord and Our Lady had a very um, family-oriented life. You know, we don't see that in the gospel, but it's obvious. Obviously, they loved each other. So obviously, you know, they said hello to each other and obviously they uh, had meals together. You know, this is obvious, but, you know, um, we have to be careful when it comes to like dialogue and things like that as to what our Lord would have said to our lady or what she would have said to him. Um, that's when you enter into really dangerous territory of recreating for our Lord dialogue as to his... Uh, as to his, what he thinks about this or what he thinks about that, you know, I wouldn't want to do, I, I'd be afraid of that. You know, I'd, I'd be afraid of putting words into our Lord's mouth as to how he feels about this or that person without knowing from the gospels, what he would say about this person or that person. Yeah, absolutely right. Listeners and viewers, I figured out my issue, by the way. I'm so silly, but it was so cold. My camera's kind of near the heating vent. And so as I kind of look up, I realize. So my camera's just kind of overheating every once in a while. So I'm going to forgive my camera for it, Cannon. We're going to do our best, but it might have to cut to my still slide or the something when I speak. We're going to... That's exactly right. It's just puffing of Sony's. It's terrible with overheating. That's right. I said I should have picked a cannon. <laughs> well, we'll get back to the questions. A lot of great questions trickling in. Hey, Rose, that was awesome, awesome on a question on The Chosen. Thanks for that sending it in. 1-877-511-5483. If you have a question for Canon Ross Bourgeois, the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest, hey, we'd love to hear from you. 1-877-511-5483. Or you can email your questions for Canon, priests at the station of the cross .com, as well as type them up on YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. Gonna carry right along. We have Anonymous in Ohio. Pretty topical, considering we're approaching almost the end of everything with the season. Why does the church, or why did the church, shorten the Christmas season from the 40 days? That is a little bit of a mystery. Um, it does seem that in other parts of the world, Christmas has the same, or I'm sorry, Advent has the same length as... Um, as Lent and things of this, if that's what he means. Um, although certainly there are 40 days from the purification of our late, from Christmas day to the purification. Um, but the purification is a kind of, uh, uh, I would say it's, it's a hard line between the end of the Christmas season and the beginning of the next, you know, the next penitential season. But you could certainly make the argument that Septuagesima is more proper and it's, you know, denominated as this in the breviary that, you know, with the time of Septuagesima ends the, the time of the Christmas cycle. But, um, if that's your question, uh, because, because technically it, it still is, if, if you're considering the purification to be the complete end of the celebration of Christmas, well, then it still is 40 days. Um, and so that's February 2nd. Um, it does seem as though, right. Yeah. That would be, if not symbolic, yeah, that's literally forty days, I believe. Yeah, it's not like uh, it's not like for for Lent where it's it's kind of a symbolic forty days if you're subtracting the Sundays and other mm -hmm. feast days. Um, but yeah, so there should be yeah there should be forty days between the purif I'm pretty sure there should be forty days between the purification and Christmas, which is so I guess is it's you can consider it quasi liturgical. Um, if that's your question, if I understand that correctly, if, if there's 40 days for the 
celebration of Christmas. Yes, if you're taking the the purification as the end of of the last possible uh, nativity oriented feast, then yes, that would be the purification. So does that answer? So anonymous was saying, why did the church shorten it? So is it not that it's necessarily shortened, but there's just different ways of calculating it? Well, I mean, I don't know when, I don't know what he's speaking about the church shorting it because certainly on any given year, you could have Septuagesima that starts very early or very late. Obviously, yes, in the new right, there is no Septuagesima, but still um, the 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 season or the cycle that begins the redemption starts with Septuagint. That sort of depends on uh, whenever Easter is. So obviously that, that, that can be modulated. Mm. It's the purification that doesn't because it's literally 40 days after, after Christmas. Um, so I don't know what he means by changing because I'm pretty sure the purification is still on the second. So... Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, Anonymous, that is a great question. Thanks for sending it in. There goes my camera. Hopefully it'll cool down during the break, but hopefully these questions will keep ramping up as they are. Those are the you real things to keep us all nice and warm. Outside. Yo, I am. I'm about to put it outside. I have a door right here, Cannon. You have to like, put it outside for a second. We'll see if we're back with it. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you even throughout the break. 1-877-511-5483. If you have a question for Cannon, we'd love to hear from you. 1-877-511- 5483. I'm Jordan Pacheco. Only one more segment after the break. I'll see each and every one of you then. God bless you. This is Father Anthony Amato from the Diocese of Rochester, New York. Please join me in praying the Anima Christi prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from you. From the wicked foe, defend me. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me to come to you, that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here at the Station of the Cross, we're delighted to bring you the very popular Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz. What can you expect when you open yourself to God's Word? You might not get an answer to every single one of your questions, but you get Him. And that's, that's the part of it. If God is all good and all powerful, then why do bad things happen to good people? Because Job is presented right from the beginning as the best. There's no reason that God gives in the book of Job of like, Job, this is why these things happen and this is why they're gonna happen to everybody. There's no reason. God just shows up and kind of lectures Job and says, you don't know as much as I do, so be quiet. That's what I interpreted it as. And I missed the very most important line, I think, which is Job saying, before I'd only heard of you, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I repent of my what I my folly. God is inviting me to say, just trust me. If you can encounter me as I am, then even if you don't have an answer for why is this happening right now, you have the answer and the answer is me. These two programs will air back to back starting Monday, January 15th at 10 p.m. Eastern. Enjoying the show? Catch up on podcasts of past episodes on your favorite platform. 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, TuneIn, and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you listeners and viewers all, and welcome back to Ask a Priest Live. I'm your host, Jordan Pacheco. We're going to see if this camera decides to stay with us the next 10 minutes. I made the mistake. I decided to trade trying to be a little bit warm for uh, technological uh, workings. And so now I'm paying the ultimate price, but that's okay because my microphone is still working perfectly. So within our last 10 minutes, if you have questions for Canon Ross Bourgeois of the Institute of Christ the King, sovereign priest and parochial vicar of most precious blood of Jesus parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we'd love to hear from you. 1-877-511-5483. You can also email your questions for Canon priests at the station of the cross.com as well as type them up on YouTube, Facebook, and rumble. Half of the chat is parishioners, according to Epo Rose. I think that is totally true. So just a great reminder to everybody on our live streaming sites. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to our channels. Our YouTube page tends to particularly pop off, but if you like to watch us on Facebook or on rumble, every single subscription we very much appreciate. And of course, if you'd like to listen to the show after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those places, a five-star review there will do so much to help the show. God bless each and every one of you for that. Yeah, be cold and offered up, Jordan. I see that comment. I know I really should. It's a penitential Friday. Trust me. Well, we're going to hop back into the questions, Canon. We have this next one coming from Barbara popped up via email format. She says this, I understand that priests do not have to fast before every mass that they say in a day, but what if a layman is going to receive the Eucharist twice? Do they have to fast twice? Um, well, uh, y y yes, in the sense that um, it's it's not something, receiving the Eucharist twice is not something that's forbidden in the sense that it's wrong, but it's certainly not what one is supposed to do. You know, it's, it's allowed. It's the same for the priest. You know, the priest is not supposed to say multiple masses a day. He does it because he has to. Um, but it should be, the mass should be the source and summit of your day. If you're at, if you're at the mass, it should be the high point of your day. Um, so the church considers that if you are receiving the Eucharist on a second occasion, you know, it's, it certainly can be laudable, you know, uh, if you're, if you're going to a, uh, a big procession or a big, big pilgrimage and, you know, you want to receive at the, at the big mass, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like it's immoral, but, um, we should not, uh, make it a kind of, uh, attempt to receive the Eucharist as many times as we can. And there's sort of, and thereby sort of auto dispense ourselves from the fast, um, for the priest, the, the code of canon law assumes the reason why he's dispensed from the fast is because he wouldn't have time, you know, like he has to say multiple masses in a row. And so if he's the whole day, you know, saying masses at different places, well, he doesn't have time to eat, doesn't have time to drink. So as soon as he can get something, he should take it. You know, that's, that's kind of the idea. Uh, for lay people, there's, there's really no reason why, you know, you should be pressed, so to speak, to receive. Uh, because nobody's ever obliged to receive the Eucharist at any Mass. You know, there's no moment, or it, certainly we know that we have to receive communion once a year at Easter time, but um, that's, that's the prescription of the Church. But nobody's ever obliged to receive. So we shouldn't be in the situation where we are trying to receive as many times as we can, and then forcing ourselves to consider, well, am I then breaking the fasting laws because, you know, I, I plan on receiving... Um, we shouldn't say that because I'm at the Mass, I should therefore be receiving communion. Uh, you know, if we if we know that we've already received communion, then we're, you know, we we should expect that 
there's no other ulterior reason. There, canon law does mention sometimes, you know, uh, for um, special occasions, like if we're at the funeral of somebody that we know, um, if we're at a wedding and we don't want to cause scandal or something like that, you know, if there's no reason why, well, certainly, yeah, there, there are, there are times where we can, and, you know, even should for, for, for its own sake, you know, receive communion multiple times, but there's no reason why, uh, unless there's some kind of special emergency that we should then dispense ourselves, you know, automatically from the fast. It doesn't work that way. So I, I, I would say, yes, you have to observe the fast, you know, uh, for lay people, you know, you should be observing the fast either way. And that unless we are dispensed of that, which, because the Eucharistic fast can be dispensed of, you know, if we are sick, um, you know, there, there are moments where we can, request a dispensation from the Eucharistic fast, but we shouldn't do that lightly is what I'm saying. You know, um, if we are receiving twice, you know, which is possible, then we should not do that, uh, lightly and say that, well, then therefore I'm dispensed from doing the fast because, uh, I, you know, I, I decided to receive many times today. Uh, you know, we should, we should try to do the maximum and try, you know, to fulfill our obligation, towards the preparation of Holy Communion as much as possible. But yes, keep in mind that the fast used to be something that was far more extreme than... Oh, please go ahead. Oh, no, 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 please, Father. Or can I continue? Yeah. So I'm just, I, I would say that even though that it's allowed, you know, per se, to receive communion multiple times, uh, the fast is still in vigor unless there's some kind of other prescription, you know, or dispensation that you have, particularly um, there's some kind of ulterior motive. But normally... You know, we should be observing the fast unless we know that we're we're dispensed from it. This is a very excellent question, Barbara. Thank you so much for sending it in. God bless you. One eight seventy seven five eleven five four eight three. Looks like we have about four more minutes of show left, so we're going to do our best. But if you have a question for Canon, the best way to get rapid an answer fire. is to call in one eight seventy seven. I know I don't know if I can give you a rapid fire one, Canon, but we're going to do our best. I do have this one. Now, this is interesting because typically I'm always paying attention. YouTube tends to be the place that pops off the most, but I'm obviously scouring Rumble and Facebook as well. But we have this question from Rumble. Great, Rumble. Hello. How y'all doing over there? Great subscription down there. I appreciate you guys. But Honey West says, hi, what is the church's position on the role of the third temple being built and destroyed in the tribulation? Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't even know where to start. I have no idea. Yeah, it's a rapid I have no fire. idea. It's, well, and if that's rapid fire. Well, again, it's it's um, it's kind of these um, assumptions of modern culture. You know that all of these things uh, will happen in the way that we imagine. You know that there's simply just a, a construction and there's simply a third temple. You know we don't know what form that will take. Um, but again, you know, kind of an obsession with the end of times here. Um, I understand, you know, the temptation is to try to see in the things that are going on confirmation immediate of uh, prophecy, but, you know, these things will happen in their own time. Um, I can't speak to it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, what form that will take or if there's been any, any kind of uh, description of the construction of any kind of future temple in Jerusalem. I don't know, you know, what that would exactly look like or what that would, if that was the question, if that, what that would entail. So I, I can't help you, but definitely, you know, while all those things are certainly interesting, you know, fascinating from a biblical perspective, always remember that 
these things are completely out of our hands. You know, there's, it's not going to affect your, your personal life. It's not going to affect your faith. Um, it's not going to prevent anybody or further anybody's attempt, you know, to sanctify themselves and get to heaven. Um, personally, yeah, like I, I would, I would always say for the end of times questions, it's like they are there. They have to be known that they're there after the church says a certain amount of things about them, but always remember, um, it does not, uh, we are not going to be the arbiters of these things. You know, we're not going to be, it's not because we know about them, um, about what the temple will look like that we will, you know, escape some kind of, uh, hellfire or, or you know, we're, we're going to be able to get to heaven because we know what the temple looks like. Um, but no, certainly perhaps there, there is some indication from, you know, the former temples or, um, any kind of other, uh, archaeological references as to what what it might look like but i can't speak to that you know i i would not be the expert to talk to you about what any kind of future temple would look like if one were to be built uh to replace the first and second excellent canon thank you so much for joining us today before you go we please leave us with your blessing definitely certainly may the blessings of almighty god father son and holy ghost descend upon you and us and remain forever amen Amen. God bless you, Canon. Thank you so much. And thank you all yeah. listeners and viewers. What a great <laughs> slew of questions, right, Canon? We we put you through some fun today, but I'm glad that, that it all worked out. Absolutely. So God bless you and may I keep each and every one of you. I will see you all on Monday when Father Anthony Amato joins us here on Ask a Priest Live. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>